issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from the heart of Manhattan at Rockefeller Center, Newsstand Studios. Joined as usual with John. How you doing, John? Doing great, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, Nastasia is. Uh, she's with uh, Jackie Molecules out in Los Angeles land. How you guys doing over there? Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah. Real good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, before we get into it, we got, of course, as usual, rocking the panels here at uh, Rock Center. Got Joe Hazen. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing well, man. It's good to see you. Yeah, and I think we also have Quinn over on Vancouver, uh, Vancouver yeah. Island. Yeah, yeah full house. Yes, you do. Full house. Beautiful. All right. So, uh, before we get into, uh, well, I guess, John, what do, what do we have for housekeeping for, for Patreon and all this other... Uh, we've got Matt Sartwell coming up uh, in two weeks. From Kitchen Arts and Letters. Yeah, so, Kitchen we're going to do all of your classics in the field questions. So, any kind of obscure... Not nonsense, but any kind of obscure nonsense or stuff, you know, it's better to let him know ahead of time. Exactly. So usually we send him the questions several days in advance because, you know, this is not his job. And so, like, in case, you know, he needs some time to run some stuff down. But on the other hand, we've never stumped him, really. Yeah, no, he's and he's so knowledgeable. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's un unbelievable. Yeah, you want someone with some cookbook knowledge. I, th I think we need to do... We It would be fun sometime to get, like, a group of... Um, uh, you know, used antiquarian and uh, otherwise cookbook sellers on at the same time, like have like a, maybe not even for the show, like for something for the Museum of Food and Drink, like yeah. get like, Bonnie get Slotnick Mac, get Bonnie and, Slotnick, yeah. uh, get, um, oh my God, her name just went out of my head up in uh, Rhode Island. Uh, her name oh, just went out one. of my head. I know and, Rabelais books up in Maine, then Omnivore books out in San Francisco as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It'd be fun. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. Classics in the field. Yeah. Yeah. From all those. Yeah, that would yeah. be super cool. Yeah. It would. That'd yeah. be great. All right. What else we got? Uh, then we have the wine director from my restaurant coming on uh, in early September to do a live wine tasting. Good plug, Jerk. What's the restaurant? Temperance, New York City. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I don't think that way. Um, <laughs> you got to start thinking that way, no, dude. No, I know, I know. You're the exec chef at a restaurant. I know, plug I know. Central. <laughs> plug, plug, plug. Come on, um, And he does, I forget what he said, but he does know the name, why it's called Temperance, so he'll be able to fill us in on that when he shows up. Okay. That'll be good. Well, but it, apparently, I mean, not apparently, it's ironic. I mean, they serve yes. wine there. Yes. Like, yes. you know, yes. oceans. Copious amount. Oceans of wine. Yes. wine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that are the guests coming up. We're working on some others that we'll let you know about soon. Um, and yeah, as always, suggest any guests uh, in the Discord or let us know. And go if you have are not a member, sign up at uh, patreon.com slash cooking issues. Yeah, and if you are a member, you can call in your questions live too. 917-410-1507. That's 917-410-1507. And, you know, especially if you want to, like, uh, like I say, try to stump Matt when he comes on. But a uh, good luck. Good luck. All right, so Nastasia Lopez goes to Los Angeles, right, which is, you know, her native area where she comes from, right, you know, and uh, she goes to, get this, did Jack go with you, Stas, or no? No, but I went with Pat, and Pat's here with me, so we have an update. Oh, well, you didn't say Pat. was just, So Pat is everyone's favorite didgeridoo player, which is not saying a whole hell of a lot. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> he hangs up on us. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway. Uh, well, he plays everything. Like, if you have any sort of weird thing that you need to blow into and you're a, like an orchestra, you hire this guy to fly out and blow into that weird instrument. Whatever. I'll leave it at that. Uh, so these guys decide <laughs> that they're going to go see, get this, the Beach Boys. Now, how many of the real Beach Boys are, are there, by the way? Three, right? I, four. four. Four, I think. So everyone sh everyone showed up who's still alive. Brian yeah, Wilson yeah, was there. Yeah. Okay. I saw that. No, no, no. Once. Not there. It was three. It was three. three. So the most important one is not there. Because who's the Beach Boy? Exactly. That, who's yeah. the Beach Boy that you hate, Stas? Mike Love. So Mike Love, <laughs> what is he? 103. How old is Mike Love right now? He's in his 80s, right? Or something like this. 81. 81. Okay. We're fine. I'm not trying to be ageist, but I don't want to hear an 81-year-old singing about little surfer girls and waiting to see, you know, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice if he was older? In what? In the box? What is he waiting for? So what is that like to see an 80, an 81-year-old beach boy? It gets better, people, though. Wait for it this. It was rough. What? 
it was it was rough. It was yeah. rough. We yeah. left during intermission. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But for, the, the for those of you that don't know, if you had to guess John, I'm going to put this to John because I haven't spoken to him about this yet, or Joe, so people who don't know, right, or Quinn, right, if you had to choose a person from the sitcom Full House who is going to become an honorary beach boy, who would it be? Joey, even though he's from Canada, but I still think Joey. Yeah. Wait, well, what's the actor? Which, which is the actor for Joey? I don't know. I don't know. David anything. Court. Courtauld, Coutier? David Goulet. No. David Goulet. I would have chosen, I thought it would have been awesome if they had like, gotten the Olsen twins. That would have been. Oh. Yeah. No. Oh, no. 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 Bob Saget. That would be amazing. Bob Saget would be the only person that makes them like look like they're still doing okay. But that's bad. It's, it's tasteless. But. Tasteless. Wrong. I take it back. It's bad. That's sorry. Sorry. My, my bad. Tara. Horrible. Bad. Freaking John wow. Stamos. F- freaking John Stamos is a beach boy. And Nastasia, no joke, goes, I don't usually like the older dudes, but John Stamos is hot. I'm like, come on, man. He, this is why he's a beach boy. He's, he's hot next to an 81-year-old Mike Love, who she already hates. And he's the only one still works. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Pat. What do you think? How did how did Stamos look? Uh, he looked fantastic. His knees worked great. He was overdoing the fact that he was the one that could move around the stage. Yeah, and so he was jumping square and sliding on his knees, and he was a step away from playing the guitar with his teeth, living his rock star dreams. Oh wow, wow, that's that's amazing. And I was told by Nastasia, I couldn't see because uh, true to Nastasia form, she bought the seat that was as far away as possible from the stage. Basically, she was watching the concert from New Jersey and the concert was taking place. She was using the, the web space telescope to look at the concert from where she was seated. But uh, she it wasn't. What? It was just a slice of chorizo. <laughs> yeah, it was just a slice of... People thought it was Stamos, but it was chorizo. Go look at the internet if you don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, so apparently he dressed like Elvis, but I couldn't see. So which Elvis? Like comeback Elvis? Like like Hawaii Elvis? Like young Elvis? Which fat, Elvis? What, fat Elvis. Oh, that's my favorite Elvis. Well, like white white outfit, rhinestone, big old chunky, yeah. like sweating Elvis. Like like the cross between it the early Elvis and David Burke. That's my that's my Elvis of choice. You know what I mean? It was hard to tell because everybody there, everybody else on stage was dressed head to toe in Tommy Bahama. Oh my god! So I and he looked like Elvis, but in reality, looking back on it, he just he looked like Uncle Jesse. Yeah. Oh my god! All right, now here's the question: Did they play Kokomo before the intermission or not? No. No. Kokomo no. was the closer. Oh. No. Come on, still? Yeah. All two times I've seen them. The You've seen them three times. Twice. Once just, you know, the late wow. nights without Brian Wilson, then the other time was at Bonnaroo when they got Brian Wilson to come. Yeah. yeah. I saw them in 83. They were my first concert when 14 years old. Yeah, yeah. Nice. They were my first concert when I was like, I don't know, yeah, like 12 or 30, in like 80, it was 83, I think, when Mine I saw Mine too, so in Boobier really? Park in Miami. My God, they're everybody's... <laughs> They just go around the, the country having this be everyone's first concert. Get around, get around, get they started touring yeah. in 1961. <laughs> this 50th anniversary tour, even though that was 61 years ago. I think they're too old to do math. Or they're just using last year's slideshow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, know, you know, why work when you can be lazy? Yeah, yeah. But were they focusing on more of the good stuff? Or was it all, I mean, not that Deuce Coop, there's nothing wrong with Deuce Coop and all of that, like, garbage but it's not that it's garbage it's fine but you know what i mean it's like wilson hadn't found his musical voice yet really right i mean so like what, what were they focusing on like all of that stuff since wilson wasn't there i'm sure it was very it was very cars heavy right very like you know my cars yeah. my surfing my girls yeah 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 yes it was all surfer cars in the beginning that's i think that's why we left and then Sugar Ray came out and played, and that was terrible. No. Wait, wait, Sugar Ray, like, yeah. like there's a tiny chunk of chicken hanging from my girlfriend's four-post bed or whatever that lyric was that I can never remember. That guy? The guy who yeah. ended up in Sharknado and was amazing in Sharknado? That guy? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Did he have yeah. any other song other so, than that four-post bed song? Yes. Okay. I can't remember what it was. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And apparently... Uh, what? Across the uh, street, 
Hollywood Bowl, all the cool kids were seeing this other concert, and including my sister, and we weren't invited to that. So we were at the old folks. I don't know if you know this, but I don't know if you know this. You're not invited to concerts. You do this thing called buy a ticket, and you go. I wasn't invited. Why didn't you get to see Rage Against the Machine with uh, Run the Jewels? I wasn't invited. You didn't buy a ticket. You bought a ticket to the wrong concert. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess. I mean, like, well, Pat, how like how many years ago was the con- was the concert you saw the one, the first one? Not that you want to. Nineteen four ninety four ninety four. All right. So they could still do their stuff back then. Yeah. All right. So we'll, could, we'll but you know yeah. the same YouTube videos as their visual element this time around that they were using back then. It yeah. looked like screensavers from home. Yeah. yeah. With the Windows ninety five screensaver was one of their was one of their videos. <laughs> Yeah, nice. And so at that time, were you already a musical kid at the time? Were you like, I need to get a theremin? Was that you back then? Is that how you spoke back then? I, uh, and they were my major influences, why, which is why I'm so successful now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, so uh, let me just make a, like a, a recommendation. I think this should be the last concert you ever go to. I think that's it. You bookend, you're done. Mm-hmm. You can't go to any more concerts. Right. Having lived, thank, having survived the experience, I never want to go to another concert. Again. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I used to actually listen to the Beach Boys all the time. I think they were a great. They were a great act. You know what Nastasia likes that I don't? It's not that I hate the whole album, but like I had to listen to their Christmas album a lot growing up. And man, that that grates after a while. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Little Saint Nick is a I like great song. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. God. That whole album. Yeah, the, that real Santa Claus song. Oh, my God. The real, the real Santa. I want to meet Santa Claus. The real, the real Santa. Oh, my God. <laughs> I hope she thinks I mean, that's so- Santa Claus. Okay. Oh, my God. It's like, it, yeah. uh, it's triggering for me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Okay. By the way. Uh, long-time listener from Al- from Alberta, Canada, Alberta, Warren Johnston sent me, came live, didn't send me, showed up at Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans, which is oh, where nice. I was a couple weeks ago. I didn't get to talk about it last week because we had a guest. Brings me the Canadian version, now I know Stas, whatever, don't, you know, the Canadian version of uh, Cheetos. Not the... By the way, we should start this off. We should go around. Are you guys a crunchy Cheeto crew or a, or a puffy Cheeto crew? Crunchy. Crunchy? Crunchy. Crunchy. Any puffs? Crunchy. Out? crunchy. Any puffs? Any puffs? I like, the, I like the puffs. Oh, contrarian or you actually would prefer the puffs? I like would them prefer both. the puffs, yeah. Oh, okay. I like what it does. It's just, it's, it's just a better residue on your hands. A better residue on your hand. I like that. I like how like you're not rating the taste of the snack at all. You're like, what do my hands look like? This is a better orange. This is a better orange with the puff. Um, by the way, Cheetos extrusion extrusion technology and how much it puffs like you know is kind of amazing how they can adjust the amount of puff by adjust. Like we should get an extruder person in here. That's what you know. That's what I wanted to do for the museum. Right? Uh, like when we did the original concept for the cereal exhibit, I wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a flaker, which apparently you can, it's easier now to get one, making flake cereal, uh, an extruder, and the puffing gum. But we only ever got the puffing gum. But how amazing would that be to have all of those technologies? That would be pretty cool. Yeah. That, the guy who wrote the book on breakfast cereal, literally his name is B-Fast. And apparently Catherine from the museum <laughs> spoke to him. Jerk. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, jerk. <laughs> B-Fast, who you think would be the coolest guy on earth. He, yeah. You know, he... He grows up with the name B-Fast and writes the book on technical, like, expertise for breakfast cereals. And then, like, Catherine calls him up to ask him stuff in the museum. He's like, get out of here, kid. You know what I mean? Jerk. Unfortunate. That's like when you go, like, the first time in Stas. I think you went, too, to a, to a toy convention and everyone is a curmudgeonly old butthead. Remember that? Was it you that went? Yeah. Yeah, they're just yeah, yeah. bad people. Yeah. Not bad people, but, like, not... They're not like, you know, some sort of like Willy Wonka or toy, you know, it's not like toys and children. You know what I mean? It's like the toys. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, not cool. Same with this guy. Anywho, someone else that we spoke to who was the puffing gun expert of the world, right? Who was a nice guy. I forget his name. He was like, yeah, what you should do is get an extruder and then set up strobe lights and then you can time the strobe light. 
So what you do is is you set up the strobe at the exact rate that the knife rotates to cut the stuff off of the extruder, but then you shift the phase up and down so that you can freeze every puff in exactly the same what? amount of expansion. And I was like, oh, <laughs> So cool. It's so cool. So I'm still waiting for it. And, 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 you know, we're still like at a point where someday if the museum ever gets its big space, I would like to do a real, uh, a real honest to God, um, sorry, a real honest to God serial exhibition. Um, anyway, so uh, one more. I said, do I have any more? Uh, any more? How, I guess Warren one more. Johnson. Well, Warren, I didn't say yeah, what he did. Yeah. So he gives us this Canadian Cheeto, right? Good name. Ready for it? Cheesies. <laughs> Cheesies. Yeah. What? Yeah. Cheesies. Now, it is... What a, is yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it's made by the Hawkins Corporation. Now, he gave us bags to eat while we were in New Orleans, and then he gave me a bag to bring on the show. However, Booker ate the whole damn thing. Okay. I mean, like, and I, I was like, Booker, damn it! Like, I need to bring that on the show. He's like, I'm just going to have one more. And then he, he just kept going back and just having one more. And it turns out that if you keep doing that, they're gone. Yeah. So we need to get some, maybe like through through John, that never make it into my house if we're ever going to taste them on air. But what they are, and uh, Quinn, you like the cheesy. You're a cheesy fan, right? Cheesies. Oh, yeah. They're far superior. Yeah. They're far Whoa. superior. All right. So here's what I'm going to say about them. He's right. Are they the poofy or the crispy? Crispy, crunchy. And get this. So, like, they are, you have to have a beverage with them. They make you want to drink a beverage because they have about twice the cheese powder and twice the salt. It's just like an amped up Cheetos. I guess it's just, like, so cold up there in Canada, Quinn, that you need, like, you just need that extra oomph. But they're a good product. So, anyhow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, one more weird thing before we go. So uh, Jack Schramm, who I was also in uh, What's It Called, Tales of the Cocktail, he went to the Meat Hook in Brooklyn, which, you know, I've never been to live. You ever go there, John? Yeah. Yeah. It's very neat. neat I know place. you follow them. But they have a 10-year-old cow, and I got the ribeye from it, but I haven't looked at it yet. So the noise you're hearing is not a mouth noise. It's me opening this, so John and I and... And well, the story is, too, right? It was, like, raised alone in a pasture and never sounds in a like, herd. Sounds like me. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, wow. so we'll hold it to. So look at look at that. that look at is that. Nuts. Can it, does the camera see it there? Yeah. That is a serious piece of serious piece of meat, wow. people. So you want to describe that? Look how yellow the yeah, fat the is, dude. Yeah, yellow is insane. And apparently, the oh my god, feel how soft it is. Wow. It's the softest fat on a piece of meat. Wow. Oh my god, this piece of fat, like? the, the little thing near the walnut, is hard. Feel that? That's like, but the stuff that's on the outside. It's cap, still not even that hard. But this is like. This is like wow. pig fat. Yeah. It's like pig fat soft, like bacon fat soft. Yeah. That is some stuff. It smells like just fresh meat. <laughs> it doesn't smell like... Yeah. Smell, anyway. Wow. All right, so we'll report back to you people next week on... Uh, Jealous, that's very cool. On the taste of this sucker. Uh, yeah, the guys at Meat Hook were saying that it was, like, the fat was so soft on the outside of it that uh, that it was, like, rendering off, like at butcher temperature. My hands are greasy, which is yeah. kind of amazing. And uh, the other thing, I called McGee because Harold has been to that like restaurant in Spain that serves like seven-year-old cow regularly. So I'm gonna get a little bit of the skinny before I, before yeah. I cook it. But I'll cook it before next week, and I'll let you folks, I'll let you folks know what happens. Nice. Yeah. 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 Old meat, old meat. Uh, that is that's my current nickname. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, also, uh, we don't have time for this, but. Uh, well, we'll get to it later. We'll get to it later. We'll get we'll, we'll get to it later. All right, uh, Jack. What are your culinary stories from Alaska? And did you listen to the old uh, Johnny Johnny Horton song on the way up there, North to Alaska, which is my favorite Alaska song? No, I should have listened to that. I mean, I, nothing great, really. I had you know they have a lot of reindeer hot dogs. Okay, that's a thing. Like late night food, casing or, or skinless. Burger. Casing. Good. How was the I snap? Like almost. It was a good snap. Yeah. Were they using that Alaska really cabbage for the for the for the kraut? Alaska cabbage. Did you get any Alaska no, cabbage? No, I didn't have any Alaska. Did no you, Alaskan cabbage. Did you meet Steve Hubachek? No, I did not. What the hell, man? 
What the heck? A terrible trip. Take a bush plane to, to take a bush plane to a glacier. That was cool. Okay, but it's no Steve Hubachek. Stas, why did that guy ghost us? The, the, Steve Hubachek, by the way, if this is the first time you've ever listened to this, is the guy who dro- grows the world record cabbages in Alaska. World record cabbages. And Nastasia and I, I thought, had convinced Steve Hubachek to sell us like his like third-string cabbage. And then he just ghosted us. Well, what was the story with that, Stas? Why do you think he ghosted us? I don't know. I, I think he thought we were weird. Okay, but... Not you know, wrong. not wrong, but I mean, he doesn't want weirdos with his cabbage. I bought a whip once from someone who said he wouldn't sell whips to people who were using them for purposes that he thought were not, in his mind, Christian. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> now he's like, you know. What are the Christian uses for whips? <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know. He didn't want you using it for like BDSM, is I think the thing. He was like part-time preacher, right. and it was it was it was again his kind of philosophy. So you know, this is the second episode where we actually talked about whips. Only the second. Only the second. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I, I keep trying to find the best like whip snap sound effect, and I can never find it. So I failed. You know, David Morgan, the guy that made the whips for uh, Indiana Jones, uh, he's Canadian, I think. And uh, and he's one of the finest whip makers. Of course, he uses Australian uh, kangaroo hide for his highest quality whips because, as we all know, that's the highest quality yep. you know whip making material because of its amazing resilience, but also the feel that the whip has when you make. It. Anyway, I think the Austrians are the uh, the champions of the whip snap. Austrians? Yes. Why? There's competitions, whip snapping competitions in Austria. Absolutely. I don't know, man. But they don't have the raw materials. The expertise to me. Anyway, I have several books on how to make whips, to plate whips. I've made, I've never made a leather whip, but I've made several nylon whips. Anyway, so this guy makes nylon whips, but he won't sell them to you if he, if he is, uh, so I tell this story. When Dax was a kid, he really wanted a whip, right? Because he had seen the, everyone sees the Indiana Jones, uh, you know, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, and all of a sudden they want a whip, right? I mean, most of us are, I mean, I don't know, I'm like this. So Dax is also like this, but he used to get in fights with Booker all the time, and we're like, if you don't do, if you do not get in a fight with Booker for, like, it was a long time, like three months, then I'll get you a whip from this guy who won't make whips for people who use them for BDSM. But Dax was very small at the time. This was at the same time that Dax would only wear uh, luchador masks around the city, and he used to walk up to the school. Remember that, Stas? He would walk up to his school. Yeah. And, yeah, and he would, he would take the luchador mask off as he was walking up and become Dax, and then as he came out of the school again, he would put the luchador mask back on. And we found a place in El Salvador yeah. that would make custom luchador masks, and he designed his own luchador mask, which was named Dynasty. Yeah. Before that, I think he was rocking, I forget, like, I think it was a Hurricane Ramirez mask or something. I forget which, uh, which you know, Luchador mask he had before he had his, his own mask. So this is the same era. So he's going around New York City with, with a, a, a small uh, cow whip and a Luchador mask. And, you know, we were going out in the park and practicing. But my mistake was is that I got him a whip based on his size. But the smaller a whip is, actually, the harder it is to get a good snap on it because it's actions faster. So it actually took a lot longer, you know, with his small whip to—maybe uh, I got him a snake whip. I can't remember—to uh, get a um, to get the action down. It was a lot, you know, physically harder yeah. to get the, the timing down than if I had gotten him just like a standard size whip. So, you know, he never became the great whip artist that I wanted him yeah. to, to become, you know. Regrets. Maybe for your, maybe for his kids or grandchildren, you know, legacy could still live on. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, my wife would love that if I started. <laughs> what the hell are you doing with the grandkids? If I should be so lucky. Yeah. If I should be so lucky. <laughs> All right. Uh, Christopher Hyde wrote in. Hey, uh, can you say uh, a little bit more about uh, how you built a base for that salad master? So the salad master is the hand crank. Uh, food slicing machine that I use that uses these kind of conical things. And I'm still loving it. I've only. If you look up Salad Master, right, and people using it, it's all people trying to sell it to you, right? Because they, they cost too much, whatever. Uh, but they're all like, look, it's totally safe. Beep, 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 beep. You can get your fingers within like, you know, millimeters. And I hit myself once with it. I hit myself once with it, and it was not the best. But, you know, I'm a little more wary of it, but I'm, I haven't gone like, uh, I haven't gone like, uh, you know how like when a football player gets their knee blown out, they're never quite the same again, like even if they're just as fast. They don't have they they they're a little bit nervous that they're gonna get their knee blown on again. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I'm not 
I'm okay. I'm back. I'm 100% with the Salad yeah. Master. Okay. But I don't like the bases that they come with because, as we said in the show before, salad, um, suction cup bases. Terrible. They suck. Yeah. In, not, not in a good way, right? And the clamp bases are no good because clamp bases, A, they never fit, and you're sitting there going, mm, 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 and then they make those marks in your thing. People need to make bases that just use squeeze clamps. Right, so I said that before, and he wants to know how I made the base for it. He said I'm a big sauerkraut coleslaw fan and think that thing looks great. I'm not very handy though, so if building the base takes any real skill, then I probably can't handle it. Yeah, it's not that it takes skill, but like I printed it on my 3D printer, and it was like a 12 and a half hour or 12 hour print or something like this because I printed it at you know like 100 percent density so that it would be strong. And then when I went on Shapeways or one of those other things, and by the way, Quinn and I have started putting parts for the Spinzol on Shapeways. Just print it yourself, please, 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 yeah. please, Get please. Get that lid cap yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so like uh, I looked at it and it would cost hundreds of dollars to print it on Shapeways. So yeah, because of all the material involved. Maybe I can make it hollow and make it easier. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'll look into it. But if you have a 3D printer, I can send you the file. It's fine. All right. Uh, also, have you ever made Alsatian-style uh, kraut with uh, juniper berries? It's damn good. Well, I'm assuming you're uh, – say, say, say choucroute in the nice Frenchy French. Choucroute. Oh, yeah. Garni. Gar, garni it up for me. Choucroute garni. Oh, yeah. So uh, I was taught how to make that by the great, the amazing Alsatian Andre Soltner. Yeah. You know, like uh, such a long line of amazing Alsatian cooks, right? Anyway, and a good place, to, a good person to learn the show crew from. But he was the first person who taught me that. And by the way, they don't cure it with the juniper. The juniper goes in during the cook step because I, growing up, was a kind of a raw kraut person. But, you know, he growing up in Alsace, like they would have the giant buckets of it and it would get real salty. I guess they would make it saltier than we typically get nowadays. And it's always a rinse and cook procedure with the juniper. So I've had it that way, but I've never had one, nor have I seen one that was cured with the juniper in it. Have you, John? No, I haven't. Yeah. You like a, you a chocrute garni guy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah? yeah. Delicious. Yeah. 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 It's great. What's the name of that sausage, that Alsatian sausage? There's a name for it. I forget. It's a specific Alsatian yeah. sausage that goes in it. But do you go for the sausage or do you go for that, like, ham hockey thing or both? Both. I mean, everything in there. It's just, it's so decadent and rich and just like hearty and fantastic. Duck, yeah. too. I mean, it's all all good. Yeah. 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 I like when a French person says duck in English. Dick. Dick. It sounds better than the way the actual French word for it. They should just change the French word to dick. Now you think? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. From Rob Has Hobbies. Uh, what amount by weight? Very specific. What amount by weight should one use uh, of the amylase that they sell at Modernist Pantry if the end product is going to go into a spinzol? Uh, I see a bunch of mentions about using it, but zero mentions uh, how much. Uh, I also assume heat is needed to activate the enzyme, i.e. sous vide at X degrees for Y amount of time. Is there any standard for that process? Well, uh, Rob, okay. I haven't used amylases in a long time, and I honestly forget. Amylase is an extremely wide like variety of products. I And I looked on the Modernist Pantry website, and they don't say specifically which one of the amylases. They buy from Guzner Novozymes, so I'm assuming it's one of uh, like that line, like Termomil or one of the other things, but it would be good, and I'm sure they will answer if somebody reaches out. Ask them which specific enzyme that they use. It's uh, an alpha uh, amylase as opposed to a beta amylase. So an alpha amylase can um, snip uh, internally on uh, you know on a on a starch molecule, but it can't break it down all the way. For that, you need uh, beta amylase, right? But yes, there's two things you need to know about amylases. And by the way, I think it's about half a percent. To answer your question, I think it's about half a percent by weight in that range. And Modernist Pantry does have a video wherein they do three or four recipes where they weigh out how much they use using their enzyme. And you can go on the uh, they make like a, a hummus. They do all this stuff where they're adding it because I guess. Presumably, they want to get rid of some of the free starch that's in it. However, I will say this. If you're making a hummus, remember, chickpea already been cooked, right? Amylase does not work well on uh, native starch, right? This is why if you're using uh, unmalted uh, grains in, um, in brewing, you typically, you know, you'll typically to get good conversion out of them, like pre-cook those or flake them or do something to them because the amylases just don't work that well on um, uncooked 
starch, right? They can't, the, the, the enzymes can't make it into the intact starch granule because the water can't make it all the way into the intact starch granule and they can't, they can't start snipping that thing apart. So uh, a lot is going to depend, but then they also do work better. Super complicated. So the mash temperatures that you use in brewing are part for the enzymes to operate most efficiently, right? There's probably also a pH requirement. So different alpha amylases have different pH requirements. Usually they work best at slightly acidic, in slightly acidic ranges. Um, but, you know, it depends on the particular alpha amylase that you're using. And they do have specific areas where they, they, they work hard. But temperatures are usually tuned to free up the starch because the starches start really kind of leaking out into the solution up in like the like 50s and 60s, depending on the starch. And each starch is a little bit different. So if you can pre-cook the starch, then add the amylase, then heat it up to the uh, the best temperature and pH for the thing, you're going to get the best result. But it really depends enzyme to enzyme, so they need to tell you which one they're using. Does that make sense? Yeah. That an okay answer? Yeah. Covered? Yeah. All right. Uh, okay, here's one for everyone. Stas, you're good at this crap. Uh, from Positive MD, any thoughts about good food to bring for a car camping trip? Now. Oh. Yeah. I was just, I just had dinner with Julia Sherman last night and. She went camping in her car, and she brought octopus. She pre, she pre cooked it, and then Sears all did on site. Oh, I love that. Did you get shots? She oh. has, yeah. She posted and she tagged you. And, oh, nice. Yeah. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. I gotta go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. I will, well, maybe we'll do something with her at some point. Uh, but. Yeah. Uh, it depends on what you're going to do. So if you're willing to have like a cooler in your car camping cooling, you can do all kinds of stuff. But yeah, the idea of like already doing a lot of pre-cook on sous vide and bringing that stuff in is uh, I think it's a strong idea because that stuff can stay, especially with these modern coolers, they can stay good for a long time. And as Nastasia and I will tell anybody, Sears all is great on a camping trip, right? Mm -hmm. Am I right? Absolutely. Because you can cook from both directions at once. You can make your campfire and then hit it from both sides at once. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, the, people are of, like, so many minds. Some people, even when they're car camping, want to be a little light. And then some people show up with an entire, you know, like, the, like an entire, uh, like, Dutch oven set up with cast iron pans and stuff. So it really depends. And the level of what you're going to do really depends on, like, whether you're willing to do that or not. And also whether you're in bear country, right? Because if you're in bear country, mm -hmm. all of your stuff has to be stored in, like, bear-proof boxes. And I'm sure that... Uh, Kind of puts a little bit of a crimp <laughs> on uh, you know what you can what you can do. Um, we're kind of like even though we have bears out here, they like you know you, I don't see a lot of people out here using bear boxes. You know, you know, because the people in California, the rangers get real bent if they have to kill a bear because you've like conditioned it to liking human food. They really don't like it. You know what I mean? I, don't know, I feel like we don't have a good yeah. answer. What else? What else you got, Stas? You got any ideas? What do you like when you're out? Pinned fish. Ooh, um, yeah, yes. fish. Yeah, if you, oh, I like how you're old school. We're gonna go out. We're gonna pitch the tent. We're gonna fish for our dinner. And if we don't, we have to eat garbage. If we don't catch fish, <laughs> yeah, then we don't deserve anything. <laughs> Go forage for berries, you jerk. You didn't catch a fish. No, I'm saying tinned fish. Oh, 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 yeah. tinned fish. Okay. Oh, okay. yeah. oh. uh, I like the, uh, oh, I guess we're not eating at all. Yeah. You're you're a poor survival <laughs> candidate. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, I do, I do like, back, I do like backpack, uh, like backcountry camping, and I always am stuck with that kind of, well, it's not that crappy, but whatever, you know, the dehydrated food that you have to cook on the little mini stove because, you know, you have to keep things really light. So I've never had very good food on those trips. Which which brand do you use? I have a bunch of Terror Supplies that are good for 25 years, like the freeze-dried, like, uh, what's the name of it? Mountain Mountain House. You tried that one? Oh, yeah. yeah I've had that, yep. And how does it actually taste when you eat it? Not bad. It's a not bad. It's a it's a dream of mine to do, like, the Appalachian Trail. I never will because I have too many obligations. Mine too. Really? Yeah. Yeah, nice. Bring spam. Well, it's so heavy though. Bring bring mountain house and then have resupplies. The thing is people carry too much stuff, right? Everyone if you want to like apparently along the, yeah. have you read all the websites, Joe? I've read all the websites. I, I mean, I did I did a lot of research on them in my 20s, like 20 something years ago. Okay, there are websites now. It's kind of amazing where what they do is is they talk to people who start, they figure out how many people finish. 
and they asked them things like, what water filters did you bring? What shoes did you wear at the beginning and the end? So, like, a, a huge bunch of people start out with, like, uh, Moab, uh, you know, Merrill Moab hiking boots. And then 99% of them end up with trail with uh, trail sneakers by the end, ultra lone peaks, which is what I'm wearing right now because I follow their advice. <laughs> if you can walk, you know, thousands of miles in a pair of sneakers and it's fine and it's lightweight, like, why would I not follow that advice? That's good advice. Yeah. You know what I mean? So people, like, end up bringing a bunch of stuff. Like, the classic one that people are like, I'm going to bring a solar charger on the Appalachian Trail. They all get thrown out because you're under trees so much. Hmm. This doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't work. You know what I really, the problem I'm worried about is, uh, is it, I like, uh, Nastasia, you know, I don't care about my physical, my, it, like, I'm not physically worried about anything, but I can't do heights. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <clears throat> so, like, that's no, we, Dave, we hiked for, like, 13 miles. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Redwoods. And remember, we had to go do a party that night, and we were almost late for the party because we're like, we're going to do one more trail. We're going to do one more trail. And then yeah. we were too cheap. We were too cheap to pay for parking. Remember, we had to get a, we had to sign on online and pay for parking. We're like, no. So Stas and I <laughs> yeah. drive like three miles out of the way to like a remote place, like near the coast, and hiked, hiked through the scrub all the way over to the to the parking lot that we were unwilling to pay for in advance, and then hiked all those trails and back. Yeah. But I can't do heights. That's why, like, I'd love to do the Pacific Trail, which apparently is physically a lot less demanding than uh, the Appalachian Trail. I mean, crazier elevations and crazier stuff. But I, I don't think a person who's afraid of heights can do the Pacific Trail. I just don't think I don't think I would survive. You would have to like knock me out and carry me over certain parts of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Doesn't sound like fun. No. No. But I I'm, I, I hear there's also a couple places along the Appalachian Trail. It's not like I'm ever going to get to do it. When am I ever going to get to do it? I got kids. I got my wife. You know, my wife's like you three months. You and set something up, you know, three years in, down the road. Commit to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, but I want it to. But anyway, so for that, I'd be, I'd be doing the mountain house stuff, using the filtered water. You filter, water, filter the water. Those filters are so good now. You know what I mean? So, like, there's no reason to carry that much water as long as you have a decent filter. That's my impression. Because that's a lot of weight. Every gallon of water is eight pounds. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's no joke. No. Yeah. What would be cool is what if you did a show where you tried to do the best cooking possible along the Appalachian Trail or like people bring you stuff and you cook it along the Appalachian Trail and you're just so freaking tired and bent because you need something like 8,000 calories, something, something stupid. You need some, you have some stupid caloric requirement when you're doing the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. You know, and everybody gets like pencil arms and like, and like, you know, tree trunk legs. Yeah, tree trunk legs and pencil arms, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, that's the look. Yeah, that's what that's what that's what the kids go for. Give me that pencil arm. Give me them giant legs so no pants fit. And then give me that give me that pencil arm. Right, stars? Isn't that what they go for now? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, from tri tip, what are your thoughts on the tri tip as a cut? It can be good. Yeah. Not always. Right, isn't that one of the ones that can go livery on a long cook? I think so, yeah. You know that's um, not well characterized. So like they can't predict necessarily based on animal feed or mm. like the sex of the animal or or the conditions around it whether it's going to go uh, whether it's going to go livery on a long cook. But a lot of people are working on it. It's a known thing. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, from Tri Tip. Now, I need all of you guys to mentally think about this because I'm, I'm not exactly sure I know this phenomenon. You ready? And, and uh, Quinn, like, get on the Discord. See what these weasels... You're not weasels, Discord people. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying in terms of love. Yeah, whatever. Why is there a burst of steam from the pot slash saute pan right after you turn the heat off? I'm sure everyone on Discord already knows, but I'd love to hear Dave's explanation. So I don't really... I was thinking about this. The only reason you would get a burst of steam right when you turn something off is if you stop agitating it. And if you stop agitating it, you'll get a local large bubble that will then go kaproof, right? As opposed to like releasing gently when you're still agitating something. But I'm not exactly sure that I understand the phenomenon you're talking about. You know, John? No, not really. But I don't know. Yeah, I imagine once the heat gets cut off, no more. 
you know, water vapor is like coming up as aggressively, not dissipating as much, so maybe it just hangs a little more. Well, well, you know, it's like if you turn off the pop, it keeps stirring or 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 shaking. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm betting there will be no because then you're just constantly ramping down. Yeah, but. You know, it's amazing how much dissipation of water vapor you get when you're moving something versus letting it go. That's like we've all accidentally walked away from a pot of sauce and had it, you know, and had it come to a boil when we weren't there and go boom, magma everywhere. You know what I mean? God, you know what? And then that stupid burn on your face when you like go over just as it happens and it's like, guess what? And it's like right over your eye. Do you know what? You know what? One of the things that worries me is that I've been hit in the face with stupid for stupid reasons, like bacon fat and all this. But like, you know, when I was you know twenties, thirties, forties, like my eyelids were always fast enough to shut before anything hit my eye. And I'm wondering if I still have that in me or if the next one that hits is going to egg white my eye. You know what I mean? That happened to me once. It does not feel good. It actually hit your like eye? A drop of oil came out of the fryer and I saw it, like, it didn't like hit the pupil or anything like that, but it hit my eye and it was very painful. Yeah, so it wasn't the lid? I've had plenty no. of burns on my lids. It got me in the eye. Son of a gun. Yeah. Not cool. No, not very not cool. <laughs> My eyes! Like, that's the other thing. Like, that's the, um, when I used to, um, by the way, don't, don't customize microwaves. It's incredibly dangerous. It, like, it's, this is no joke. So people have been customizing microwaves on YouTube and, like, dying. Like, something like more than 10 people have died following YouTube microwave customizations where they're, they're trying to make these fractal wood burning patterns and they're using the transformer in a microwave and it's thousands of volts and it's connected directly to your mains. So it's not like, you know, you know, you know, not, not cool, not cool. So like literally, I think dozens of people have died more than 10. Anyway, so I, in one of my stupider younger days, I was, you know, medio cautious, but I would, uh, customize microwaves and, uh, yeah. Don't do that. I don't even know what that... Oh, how did that even come up? Why are we talking about... Why am I talking about microwaves? I don't know. I was wondering the oh, same thing. so my dad, you know... So my grandpa was a radar designer. And, you know, as most of you know, many of you know, radar uh, is in the same frequency band as microwaves from microwave ovens. And, in fact, the microwave oven was developed by Raytheon because uh, the radar engineers and techs were noticing that things like food was heating up and, like, candy bars were melting in people's pockets. But the thing that they really worried about was that you would uh, scramble your eyes like a, like, you know, that you would zap the protein in your eye and it would go white and then that's it. It doesn't unwhite. It's like an egg. And so that's my, my dad was like, if you mess up, your eyes are gonna go, you know, just and like, that's it. So like that was always put the fear of yeah, microwave God. God. Did I say on the air the thing about what the, I did, because someone asked me a question about it. The, this, the myth, I've said this before, the myth, I don't know, the story, perhaps apocryphal, is that the people, before they would go out on the town at the early warning radars, would, would nuke their junk a little bit just to, like, make the, make the, the swimmies not so swimmy anymore. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's not something I would. I've read accounts of people who have gotten hit in the hand with uh, microwaves, and they say it's intensely painful. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, one thing I will say, though, here's another thing. It's a myth. Let's just talk about the puff of steam. This is not physically possible, but I'm sure all of you have had this where, okay, listen, people who are pot and pan people, I know you're not supposed to put water into a hot pan. Can we just stipulate that? All right. Is it stipulated? Okay. I also know you're supposed to pick up every pot and pan with a towel. That's why you have a towel on your side when you're Can we stipulate that? All right. Okay. But when you take a hot pan and you put water on it, everyone knows that it feels like the handle gets hotter all of a sudden, right? How is that possible? I think it's because steam forms and hot vape, because you're holding Mm. the pan down. You're almost always holding the pan down and putting water on it. I think it's that like steam is hitting the handle and making it hotter because there's no way, there's no way that like heat like it's like oh no the cold water and then travels up the handle and makes the handle hotter and yet that's clearly the perception i've had for years and years that that's the case you too yeah 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 
anyway. Yeah. Fun little, fun little thing. Uh, also, uh, Tri-Tip wants to know, is the Control Freak overkill? I lust for it, but it seems pricey, especially when there's no uh, API or low-level customization available. I mean, I didn't pay for mine, and I think a lot of people didn't pay for theirs. I love it. If I had to pay full boat for it, I mean, I love it. Wiley loves it. Wiley also didn't pay for it. You know what I mean? Uh, but I, I do love it. It doesn't ever break. And uh, I think I said this before, but I, I bought uh, some cheap inductions to do some work for the book. And they don't actually output the power. They go down. And so everyone's like, why is the control freak so big? It's because it's got the cooling technology in it such that the circuitry doesn't fry out. And it actually puts out the power it's supposed to put out for a long time without ever going down. So short of buying a commercial induction from CookTech, uh, you know, they're pretty good. I mean, like, it really depends. Do you need that level of reliability? If I was going to use it professionally, for sure, I would get that. You know what I mean? Is it overkill at home? I don't know how much money you have. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, is it a luxury? Yeah. Is it good? Yes. Is that fair, John? Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Stas, apparently Ben Summerfield wants you to put some earmuffs on because it's a carbonation question. You, you, you Muffs on? Yeah. Yep. All right. Hey, Cooking Issues team, not a question uh, directly for a guest. Yeah, well, we waited anyway. Uh, but another, yet another carbonation question. Can I use an old soda siphon? It's talking about the old one, like, nyah, 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 those kind. You know what I mean? Like, like Three Stooges kind. But not the official ones. You know the official old soda siphons? Do you know how they, were, how they got uh, charged and refilled? No. Through, so they had a machine, and they would fill the siphon through the dispenser. So literally the machine would depress the dispensing nozzle, pump uh, car- um, carbonated water from the carbonator in through the out hole and then in through the out hole, out hole. And then that's it. That's how they would charge mm-hmm. them. But these ones that, so this person uh, has an old one made by Sparklets. It's a type C. And can they hook it up to a tank instead of using the, the chargers? Okay, here's what I'm going to say about that. One, the issue with, I mean, I'd also be careful. All of these old ones, their glass makes me a little bit nervous. Uh, they're th- very thick glass, but they have a they have a, a, a metal mesh cage around them. So presumably, if they break, they they're not going to hurt you. But I would not charge one full of pressure unless it had mostly water in it, just because if it does blow under pressure, that's unfriendly. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, scared the hell out of me, Joe. Awesome. There we go. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and that's the way it should be. You know, I've had uh, I once carbonated. I think it was before Stas was with me. Uh, you, you know how like uh, you know how I get Nastasia when um, when like I need something and it doesn't magically appear and I'm and I need to go work anyway. So I'm like, gah, gah. you know, you know what I'm saying? You know that attitude I get? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So I carbonated in a Fiji bottle, which is square and definitely not meant to carbonate. And I did it once and it worked. I did it twice. I was like, someone get me a real bottle. I did it a third time. Kaboom! So loud. So bad. My my uh, chef whites weren't white no more. Chef Browns. Because uh, it was coffee. Uh, okay. So the issue with uh, anything like this, yes, of course you can do it, is that uh, soda siphons um, have, and this is why they have the term siphon, they have a tube that goes down to the bottom so that when you press the button, uh, you can hold this, uh, the siphon upright and the liquid dispenses from the bottom up through the tube and out. The problem with that is, is it makes it difficult to uh, purge the headspace because you can't vent it. So what I would do is I would actually make it so that you could both uh, vent uh, and uh, um, put CO2 in from both sides. So the, the most CO2 efficient way to do it would be to put a light amount of CO2 onto the out hole open up where you put the charger, go, this is when I used to build my own siphons, and like pump CO2 down through the liquid through the tube, and it would basically strip all the oxygen, other gas and stuff out of the uh, stuff. So when I when I used to do it, I would have it such that I could push CO2 through the tube and vent out the top, and we would go, remember that party we did, Stas, where we did that, where we did 1,500 car- uh, carbonated aluminum drinks in like an hour and a half for MTV? Yeah. It worked great. So you're yeah. like, you're like and, and you, you purge the headspace and strip it all in one shot, which means you only have to carbonate once or twice instead of three times. Then you put the f- main pressure in through the top, or you can still do it through the bottom, shake like hell, right? Then uh, allow it to rest 
and then you can dispense. But that's the way you have to do it. So you need to somehow push the CO2 through the tube, be able to do that, and then vent out of the top uh, if you really want to get it to work right. Is that okay? Is that fine? Good yep. answer. Good answer. All Good right. Answer. Earmuffs off. Uh, from Be Done. Uh, so I have a saucier. Say saucier. Come on. Saucier. Ah, uh, yeah. And I love it. I wonder, uh, and we're, what we're talking about, people, is, you know, the, the saucier with the, with the slope sides, right? With the, with, with, with the, with the curved sides. You with me? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I wonder, uh, why aren't all saucepans made with sloping or curved sides? I can't really think of an advantage of straight sides. Braises. Braises are the advantage for the straight side. So if you're doing a braise and you don't want to use a big uh, pot, sometimes it's more effective to get a wide thing, put it low, and then have stuff that can extend all the way to the edge. But other than that, if you're doing any actual reduction or any tossing, then you need the slope sides. Right? Would you agree, agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but why don't I do the braise in my rondo or in my... Listen, I'm just telling you what a good reason for it is. Another one is, like, let's say you're doing... It's not, like, technically a braise, but, like, let's say you're making, like, an escarole, and you have, like, piles and piles and piles of escarole, and you want to wilt it all at once. Well, there's just a lot more capacity in a straight-sided guy than there is in a slope, sloping-sided one. So, you know, I used to make escarole so often. I love escarole. Right. Yeah. Be- yeah. Beans and, like, s- sausage and yep. garlic... Mm. That's what uh, growing up. That was my m- one of my mom's go-to weekday, like wintertime things. The, the escarole with the sausage and yeah, beans. It's delicious. Yeah, 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 yeah. And even just using canned ingredients and like, you know, easy, mm, e- easy, good. Yeah. The only pain is washing that escarole. Yeah, dirty. Yeah. Yeah, 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 real dirty. It also took me a while to realize that my mom like lightly chopped it, so all my escarole was in long pieces, which I kind of liked. I got used to it, but now I chop it a little bit, little bit. Not crazy. Yeah. Manageable sizes. Yeah. What kind of beans would you do? Like a fava bean? or um... My mom always did the cannellini uh, growing up, but uh, now I, I put all kind of different, you know, beans in. But... Those heirloom beans you like? Oh, you know, I like those heirloom beans. <clears throat> I've never made beans from dry to do the escarole. I mean, they're kind of a perfect application of canned beans. Yeah. Because I'm adding so much other flavor to it anyway. My mom for the sausage would typically use, uh, she, my mom would kind of Americanize it so she'd use like half bacon, half pepperoni. It's kind of an American take on it. Yeah. Real good though. Speaking yeah. of pepperoni, I, I found some amazing pepperoni over this weekend. Uh, it's uh, from, from where is it? It's the Brooklyn Larder up on Flatbush. Has a pepperoni with sour cherries. Ah. Delicious. Like, so how much... So the interesting thing about putting that kind of inclusion is is that you have to get the moisture level of the fruit in line with the moisture level of the of the You know meat. what? Funny, I was looking at the exact same thing, like the strata of the, the pepperoni, and everything looked exactly the same moisture. I like that. Moisture management. Delicious. Messy <laughs> <laughs> moisture management. Uh, all right. Well, you know, I would like to try that. Okay. Uh, Jack Rieger wrote in, what are the best practices on rapid chilling sous vide leftovers in a home setting? Well, chef, uh, what is it, how many hours do you have to get it cool? <coughs> I still need to do my serve oh, safe. Jeeves, Louis. <laughs> anyway, the question really isn't, look, so like most of the time on, um, I'll finish the question. Do you have to, do I have to start the process immediately after finishing a product or can I wait at room temperature a while while I eat dinner like 30 minutes and then can I chill it later? Wondering about times, temperatures, and preferred equipment, if any. Uh, and then you have a question on Beano. Uh, listen, have I perfected the Beano technique? I'm not sure, but I got a lot to say about rootin' tootin' beans and like gas. I said a little bit on the air a couple of weeks ago. Oh yeah, but I can't say too much because I'm supposedly supposed to write something for, um, for uh, serious eats, so we're gonna get Daniel Gritzer on pretty soon, right? Let's, yeah, we could talk about it then. Uh, okay, so here's the truth: you need to get this stuff cold just within, you know, the couple hour time limit you have to get it to get it cold. And once you decide you're going to chill something down, you can chill it down really quickly. I used to think when I was, you know, first doing this stuff in, you know, 2004 or five, I used to think that you needed to chill stuff as rapidly as possible because why wouldn't you? But Bruno Gousseau, uh, you know, the granddaddy of jusqu'à temps, which is what he calls it, like, you know, the sous vide cooking, jusqu'à temps, right? He, uh, which means, you know, the correct temperature. He hates low temperature because, like, he's like, the correct temperature is not always low. Jusqu'à temps. 
Anyway, so as opposed to his like nemesis, uh, Georges Pralou, who is a butcher who did the uh, the foie gras stuff, he had like very short, stubby sausage fingers, Georges Pralou. And uh, he used, instead of jus gaton, he had like five, four or five different temperatures that he would use for different products and always pegged his recipes to that, which really actually is more how a chef thinks, whereas Bruno Gusto is more about dialing individual temperatures, but... It, it's actually more difficult for a chef to think about the exact temperature for each thing instead of having buckets to put stuff in. Anyway, that's, a, that's a debate for a different time. So Bruno Gusteau said that you actually want, in the same way that you warm it slowly over time because it's a gentle, you know, it's, you know, it's got a ramp, like a bell-shaped curve of the temperature, you want to chill it at the same rate while it's above about 50 degrees Celsius. And his argument was that uh, protein. So if it's not protein, it doesn't matter. You chill it fast. Vegetable, who cares? Chill it now. Chill it now. Uh, but proteins uh, tend to reabsorb more of the uh, moisture liquid that they've thrown off in the cook. They'll reabsorb more of it along with their con- you know, concomitant flavors if the temperature goes down slowly versus if you drop it in ice, they kind of seize up and then they stop absorbing liquids. So he likes a ramp down. So what what I call his technique that I call the full gousseau is it comes out of the bath and it goes on the counter for between 10 and 20 minutes, depending on the thickness, because it's all about how thick it is and how much it's cooling off, right? So call it 20 at the outside or 15, uh, right? On the counter, then 15 or 20 in running tap water, which is at room temperature, but has a much higher uh, um, chilling rate than ice water to take it down once it's below 50. And I was like, this is crap. This is garbage. And then I ran some tests with a bunch of people in class. And, you know, and I asked, you know, the 20 people we had in the class and we did it like 10, 15 times, which one of these do you like best? And by and large, the majority of people choose the full gusso. So, but I don't, I never do the full gusso. It's a pain in the ass. I do like a modified gusso where it's just like I let it sit out for a little bit and then I rock it into ice. I never do the tap water thing anymore because, you know, for the marginal increase, it's just such a pain in the behind. So anyway, I hope that answered your question. Um, All right. Listen, Elsie says coming over from Scotland uh, to cycle from Montreal to New York City with a friend. Any must-eat drink visit stops you'd recommend along the way? That's long. That's what the Discord was invented for. I feel the Discord needs to help out. Uh, That's why the Google Maps cooking issues map was invented, too. Well, clearly you need to have a beginning bagel and an end bagel. Yes. Right? You need to do the Montreal <laughs> bagel and you need to do the, the New York bagels. Right? Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you need to have any bagels in between, though. No, probably not. You know what I mean? What do you think, Joe? Do I need to have any bagels in between those two? I love a bagel in between. But, but who's going to make a good bagel? Boston? Boston bagels? You ever had a Dunkin' Donut bagel? Garbage! No, I never have. Don't. I never had a, what about like a, a, a Bender's bagel? A Blender's bagel? What was Lenders? it? Lenders? Lenders. No, man. I'm kidding. He's probably not even going through Boston, right? Just what's the... I don't know. I don't know, from Montreal down. It's like know. through Vermont. And... Uh, wait, Quinn, you want to save uh, William Sabatos' question on uh, gelato for when we... We're going to, like... I haven't used the creamy. Listen. Ninja Corporation. If anyone out there knows the Ninja yeah. Corporation, Quinn needs a creamy. Quinn needs a creamy. And then maybe we'll get Chris Young to talk on about the creamy too. But why wouldn't Quinn have a creamy? One of the questions I hear was, would you... So remember, Quinn likes to have his uh, frozen uh, desserts come out of his freezer at the proper texture, right? Yeah. Right, Quinn? You don't like the temper. Yeah. yeah, you don't like the temper. But for this machine, yeah. you're going to have to use a uh, regular dipping temperature because it heats up so much with the blade unless you want to post temper. That's been that's actually the problem with the Paco Jet is that a lot of people when they're doing high volume stuff, they have to re-put it back in the fridge. They're not actually spinning a la minute because it warms up quite a bit unless your freezers are extremely cold. So, anyway, old dirty bratwurst. ODB. Uh, wants to know if my allergy treatment worked permanently. So far, I'm still getting the dang shots, old dirty. Dirty, I'm still getting the shots. I'm on my last round, but so far I'm good. I'm popping cherries like a mother. Uh, how much time do I have? One more maybe. All right. Um, Amelia writes in, I have a cooking issue I want to ask you about. I was making caramel with allulose, which is an isomer or an epimer of fructose, but you can't, uh, whatever called. And uh, a bit of milk, and when it cooled, it became firm and solid and soft at the same time, just as I wanted it, like a toffee candy. But after a few days, it became liquid fluid and lost its solid structure, just like me. 
Uh, do you have any ideas why this could be? Well, allulose is quite hydroscopic. Hygros, hygroscopic. So it sucks moisture out of the air. If you kept it in a place with a lot of silica, it might do uh, better. That's my guess. Pat, do you want to say something on the way out? We got 13 seconds. I heard somebody say something. I thought it was Pat. Pat. Left a long- what? Pat, Pat left a long time ago. Pat um, left a long time ago. So who ago. said something? Someone said something. Was it Jack? You people. Oh. You people. All right. Cooking issues. <laughs> <laughs>